character in your nature other than your holiness or as they're depicted in far, far, far beyond. I thank you that we can that we're called by you. Oftentimes when it's affirmed and said and stated and commanded time and time again to be thankful. We can wonder what are we thankful for, but we should never ever spend a moment of our lives not being thankful that you've called us. Because without that, we're damned. You called us. You made a way. You continue to call us. You continue to beckon us. You continue to prod us. You continue to teach us. You continue to encourage and exhort and reprove and correct like a loving father does. This isn't about us going on with our lives and adding church to our experience in the Wood River Valley. This isn't about adding to us. This is about you've called us, you've created us, you've created us in the womb to serve you right now in the Wood River Valley to represent you to honor you to bring you glory you've chosen us if we're born again to be the reflection of you that's a big deal that's a big deal you called us to live our lives in your name according to your standard, according to your way, led and guided and directed by you in the form of the Holy Spirit. God, forgive us for being so blind. Forgive us for being so blind to things that are spiritual. Forgive us for being so earthly minded instead of heavenly minded instead of aware of the spiritual governed guided controlled by the things of you and your perspective and your way I thank you for your mercy I thank you for your forgiveness I thank you for your patience all the things that you cause us and tell us to rep- represent to each other. You are. You have been. God, I ask you particularly to lead us, to cause us to know what we should do, what we should do about this building, what we should do with Don, how we should be responsible and accountable as you'd want us to, how we should, you tell us to always be ready to not to make the most of our opportunity 
with those who are unsaved, with the Gentiles, to always be ready with an answer. God, I ask You to give us that answer, give us that wisdom, give us that ability to love on Dawn, to know what Your purpose is and what You want for us. Amen. Four kids, take three adults. Thank you, Ashley. So, God willing, finish Colossians today. In speaking to people this week, I, it just became more and more evident, as it seems like it continually does, the chasm, the divide, the separation between American Christianity and what the Bible says. So, our Christianity needs to be based on not what is traditional, not what we've accepted, not what we find, what those around us, not what the majority sees is right and wrong, not what we feel, not what we want, not what it needs to be based on the Word. So, let's listen to what he has to say. Um, let me read. Chapter 3. Um, John, we don't have a Vines here, do we? I don't think we do have a Vines expository dictionary. I left mine at home. Magic carpet. It'll look like one of those ones back there, the brown ones. Verse 12 of chapter 3. We read this last week, but this is a very important thing um, to realize what God calls us to in order to live life out. Um, because the end of this chapter, first part of that second one, gives us um, some very direct commandments. And whether we want to stand under the curtain contemporary guys if we're not under the law we're under grace so that means anything goes and God forgives me and he overlooks sin and he overlooks my life and he overlooks my lifestyle um, that's not what it means so verse 12 and so as those who have been chosen of God this is speaking about those who are born again and those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on. Remember that word put on means to clothe yourself with. To immerse yourself, to sink into the clothes, but to, to, to clothe yourself is. I would say that as, you know, the implication seems to be in the Greek of, of 
of wrapping yourselves in, of covering yourself up with. And that's what we're supposed to do. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, teaching and admonishing yourselves with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, outwardly, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, just a strong commandment, not maybe. Love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with, etern- not with external service as those who, are mere- who merely please men, but with sincerity of the heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do you work heartily. As for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying it at the same time for us as well, that God may open a door to a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves. This is a really important one. How do we act towards outsiders? How do we act towards the people we're working with? How do we act towards those who don't know God in this world? Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Not just existing. Not just letting him letting us coexist with it. Let us let your speech always be with grace. That's unmerited favor towards someone. Okay? Seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. It's talking about outsiders there. And to all as to all my affairs, Tychesus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondslave of the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you a greeting, and also Barnabas, Cousin Mark, Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision or who are Jewish. And they, are pro- and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings. 
always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Laboring earnestly in his prayers for you, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea, Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. And so does Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea. And also Nympha and the church that is in her house. And when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received from the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting to you with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be to you. There, there's the end of it, but I, there's a couple things that um, we certainly need to be reinforced in. And the part that we dealt with last year, we dealt with 12 through 17 to some degree about putting on a heart of compassion, of kindness, of humility. That goes, that goes along with taking off. Okay? In verse 5, it says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead, as dead to immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which accounts for idolatry. Verse 3, it says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay? But now, in verse 8, also, put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Put them aside is take them off. Clothe, it's the same verb. One means to put clothes on, one means to take clothes off. Okay? It means to take take it off. The, the, so so here, here's an attitude of the heart. Here's what God commands us in the heart. It says, put it on and put this off. How does that look um, if you're born again or if you're not born again? So we just try to do this. We've talked about this again and again, and I'll say it. I believe that the difference is that we, we understand what Jesus did that we can be set free, that we truly can be obedient to God, that we truly can put take off the old self and put on the new self, that we truly can consider the members of our earthly body as dead to immorality. Jesus, Jesus died for that purpose. Jesus, God raised Him from the dead for that purpose. And that's how we can live. So how, do, how does that look? Because tragically, um, I think the... the the major distinction between contemporary Christianity and the Bible isn't so much theology. Um, it's a belief system that I can give verbal assent to something, that I can give verbal assent to correct theology, that I can say something with my mouth, and that makes it good enough. Okay? That, I can, that I can espouse right doctrine. It's phenomenal how strong that is. Okay? I mean, it is amazing how strong that is. You know, consider again the, the, the contemporary belief system that if I, if, if I said the prayer, I confess with my mouth, as Jesus said, if I believe in Jesus, so if I believe in Jesus and I, and I profess Him as Lord with my mouth, I'm saved. Oh, the Bible says that. Yes, the Bible says that in word, but, but the Bible is also very, very clear 
that if that, that profession isn't from a place in your heart that causes your feet to act accordingly, it's not a true profession. Okay. But unfortunately, in contemporary Christianity, there's a very, very strong belief that if I said it with my mouth, and I was, and I was trying to follow Jesus a bit with my life. I was a disciple of Jesus. I was a follower of Jesus. But now I'm what? Now I'm lukewarm. Now I'm just rebellious. Now I'm, you know, I mean, we heard, we were watching this deal last night. I don't know what we were doing about one o'clock in the morning. Finishing studying. My wife was still pretty wound from doing her. She's, she's, she runs this marathon. She's in the middle of it now. And, and, but the, you know, it was, it was a program. What was the name of that thing called? What was the, some, Acquire the Fire? It's a TV program thing. Have you guys seen it or heard of it? A bunch of concerts and whatnot, I guess, doing it, but there was a, there was some role model play acting stuff that was going on, and, you know, it was whatever. Um, but the, tragic thing is um, you know there was this there was a again the, the, the typical perception or mentality that um, yeah I, I became a Christian but I I just been I wasn't hot or cold I was just lukewarm and I spent my whole life just lukewarm but I was a Christian but I was born again but I was just lukewarm and and I'm you know we we have validated that as a is a way of living um, that God finds somehow acceptable. Uh, but do not forget that God says, I will spit you out of my mouth. Okay? Yeah, after the, well, after they went to the thing, they got hot, then everything was good. But the, 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 the tragic part again is, is that we believe that we can be apathetic towards God and the things of God. Okay? Um, and that God's okay with that. It's just, He understands it because we're just fleshly people. And He forgives us and He still loves us and He's just kind of like Santa Claus up there and thinks everything's still okay and we're still going to get presents and it's still okay. Because He's just a, He's a nice guy. That, that, that's not the way it is. Um, and, and, and I think that we need to be very clear to understand you know, there's a, you know, the, verse 18 says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Okay? Well, again, did God mean that? Is God kidding? And, and, and if, you know, John, you can say, well, or, you know, you, you're single, so you don't have a wife. So, okay, I guess it doesn't pertain. There isn't, I, I'm not really described here. Well, yes, you are. The one thing that, that we need to remember as a born-again believer, we are under authority. He makes a statement in uh, um, whatever you do, well, he, he says in, in verse 4, he says, I mean, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness. This is masters, bosses, those who are in charge of other people. Ju- justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Okay? The profound thing that, that one of the, one of the tragedies that goes along with our contemporary view is that we're, pardon me, free, white, and single. You know? We can do what we want. Um, 
And there is no such thing. Okay? There is absolutely no such position in life. We all serve a master. Okay? Be, do not, do, if you think you do not serve a master, if you do not realize you serve a master, you are in a state of great deception. Okay? Because we all serve a master. The Bible is very, very clear. Either we serve as a master, as slaves to, without rights, without the ability to turn away from the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, our flesh, and Satan. We're slaves. Slaves without rights. Without the ability to do anything about it. That is the bondage that we are in. Or we serve the living God. Period. As slaves of Him. And that is... We, we are all under authority. And, and that's absolute authority. Okay? The, the concept of I'm, I'm saved, so I'm free. I'm, and I'm free to do what I want to do. And, and, and if I serve God, that's just, you know, that's kind of like paying my tithe and it's just some kudos, you know, or something, you know, on it. I just gain, gain a little favor with him on top of it. No, we are all slaves. Okay? We are under authority. There is no one except God who is not under authority. Okay? That is the order of things. Period. Angels are under authority. Demons are under authority. Okay? Satan is under authority. Okay? Everything is under authority. Alright? In, in, in the concept that we are out from under authority is a lie that we've been told. And it makes it very hard to, so all of a sudden, submit to your husband. There's a side of it that, who cares? It's the same thing with, with we're already under authority. We're already slaves under authority. Okay? It's the same thing, you know, we, we, we were raised, I think contemporarily it gets even stronger, right? I mean, slavery is like one of the worst words you can ever say, right? I mean, that's one of the greatest abominations that could ever happen. Well, that's not true. I would go so far as to say there would be a lot of people in this country that would be in a much better state of existence if they were slaves. Okay? Particularly say, I know that's not a nice thing to say and I get in big trouble of it. And You guys can email, I guess. You know, whatever. Okay? How would they do it? Because if they recognized that they were under authority, if they were in authority, that their life was not their own, because most of us in this concept of we're free and we can do whatever we want are just undisciplined, fleshly beings that just consume ourselves. Okay? In whatever level of narcissism, in whatever level of drunkenness. If you had a master that said, you do not do this or else there will be consequences, you recognize that, you realize that, you would be in a much better place than a fleshly master. In, in a fleshly master, slaves were not... Separate. You, know, you look, look at Joseph in Potiphar's house. Was he a slave? Absolutely, he was sold into slavery. I mean, he was thrown in a pit, man, and he was sold out, bound up by his own brothers and sold out to slavery. That's the worst thing that could ever happen, really. He certainly rose to a place of power. He was, he was second under Pharaoh of all Egypt doing it. You know? a slavery, a slavery is not necessarily... How, how do you act as a slave? Are you a good slave? And a slave master. What is your slave master? We tend to think of it as the worst thing. I wouldn't be free. I wouldn't be free to do what I want to do. Well, let me just say this again real clearly. You're not free to do what you want to do already. Okay? 
None of us are free to do what we want to do. Okay? I mean, we, we may think we are, we may be deceived in thinking so. We're not free if we serve our, the Most High God. Are we free to do what we want to do? Or are we under obligation to be obedient to our Master, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ? We're not free to do what we want to do. We're under obligation to serve Him. And you know what state we go in when we say, no, I'm not? We go under obligation to serve the devil. To serve Satan and his people. Alright? We're not free to do what we want to do. We are under obligation as slaves. The choice, the free choice, we are given free will and free choice. Wait a minute, I've got free will and free choice. I can choose what I want to do. Free will and free choice that God gave us that God allowed us to have is the freedom to come out from under the slavery of Satan to be a slave of the Most High God. That's what free will means. That's what free choice means. And that's as far as it goes. When you surrender, when you take this free will that God gave you to make a choice to serve the Most High God, do you maintain your free will? You do not. You do not maintain your free will. Okay? You don't, you don't get to do what you want to do. You serve the Most High God. Okay? And, the, and, and, and if we're not aware of it, it only means that we're, pardon me, deceived. So, when, when you recognize that we're all subject and under authority, these verses become easier. Okay? What did God put you in? Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Is that a request, you think? Is that a commandment? Is that an absolute? It is an absolute. Okay? So that means subject your will to your husband. Okay? Be under. That word again, subject, is a, is a um, military word. And it was chosen properly as a military word. It, it talks about order of command. Okay? It's not seeing that a, that a private doesn't have value or a colonel doesn't have value or a corporal doesn't have value. I don't know how the rank goes. Pardon me, I'm illiterate when it comes to... But, but you know what? They're under the general. Okay? They're under the, the general. And our general actually is under our commander-in-chief. Okay? All over general. Does it mean they don't have value and purpose and reason? No, it doesn't. It means that you're under the authority of. And... That's the same way with women. Now, now, it is just as strongly a command, absolutely a command, for husbands to love your wives. Okay? But, but, but be very, very careful. Do not read in our cultural view of love. Well, you have it easy. Women have to subject their wills to their husbands, and men just get to love, just get to feel so good about their wives. Okay? Because wives are so sweet and so deserving of our love, and... You know, the, so we can just be in love with our wives. That's all we have to do. We just have to feel good about our wives, but women have to subject themselves. That, that's a deception from the pit of hell. Okay? The commandment of husbands to love your wife is every bit, no, far beyond wives submit to your husbands. The example we have in Ephesians is what of husbands love your wife as what? As Christ loved the church. What did he do? And laid his life down for her. Oh, does that mean you're free, white, and an American to get to do what you want to do as a husband? No. No. 
you are subject to love. You are subject to laying your life down. I wanted to bring vines and read it again because it's never... I would, I would say that one of, our, one of the great strongholds um, in this country... And maybe, maybe one of the found, no, one of the foundational strongholds, one of the foundational, um, uh, tools of Satan in this country is our cultural definition of love that we read into the Bible. Okay? And, and, and be very clear about it. Agape love is a word which is not defined outside of the Bible. Okay? It's a Greek word, but it has no definition. You won't find the definition in Greek literature. You won't find, you know, you can't go there. They're using this word agape, you know, kind of like they're using this word to put on. You know, this is a Greek word. Okay. So it has meaning. We can go back and say, what did it mean? What did that Greek word mean? Well, it meant to put your clothes on. Now, when he says to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, we understand what that means. That's what he was saying. Okay. Might be different in our culture, but we can go back and define what it meant in their culture, okay? And see, so he was using this word. Agape does not have definition outside the Bible. But it is, 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 could we safely say that agape love, which is the predominant use of love in the New Testament, there's no Old Testament, agape isn't an Old Testament word, it's a New Testament word, but is, can we safely say that agape love is a primary point of the New Testament. A primary commandment of the New Testament. It is. Okay? God's love towards us, our love towards Him, and our love towards each other. Done. That's, that's it. Just describe the whole thing. Okay? What it, what it looks like and what it means. Agape love. Agape love is not, and I wish I had brought vines again and but anyway, agape love is, has nothing to do with feelings towards that person. It has nothing to do, it's not defined in the Bible as feelings towards that person. Okay? It's feelings towards that person, good feelings, phileo feelings, feelings of intimacy, feelings of, uh, that you're bonded, feelings of, that, that give you good feelings about somebody. Are those wrong? No, those aren't wrong in and of themselves. Phileo love is, a, is, God tells us, be about brotherly love. And brotherly love isn't just some handshake guys bumping shoulders and doing it. You know, phileo love is, is the intimate love we have, the affectionate love that we have, the, the feeling of love that we all long for. Okay. Is, agape love is different. In fact, agape love is about, the, the contrary to agape love, is the exertion of self. The exertion of self-will is the opposite of agape love. Okay? We are, we are called to worship, to love God. Okay? The exertion of our will is the opposite of that. Okay? That's what agape means. Agape means I regard you as more important than myself. I regard God as more important than myself. And I submit my will to him in love. Love demands the surrender or submission of our will to the object that God calls us to love. Okay? This is, this is not um, about when I feel like it. It's not based on my feeling. And, and let's just say beyond that, it is not based on, on, on my motivation from your worthiness. 
Just like God's love towards us is not based on His motivation by our worthiness. Okay? He is not motivated by our deserving of love. Okay? He is motivated by the fact that He is love. He is motivated by the fact that He loves us, irregardless of who we are or what we are. Irregardless of our worth or non-worth. The, the command for husbands to love your wives is every bit as strong, if not stronger. The, the, the description we have of loving our wives is to lay our lives down for. That is just as much a command as wives be subject to your husbands. Okay? Just as much of a command. There's a, there's a, it, finish that. Husband, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. What does that mean? You know? I mean, how could you be embittered against us? We're such sweet little women. You know? I mean, we, you couldn't be embittered against us. How could you, how could you do that? Okay? And, and there's a side of me that goes, that, that has always felt like, you're right, I'm not embittered against my wife. You know? How could I be? I mean, you know, she is so worthy of my love. The, 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 but the tragic part is, in looking at this, and I'll just say this, I'll say this first and I'll begin with a um, confession, confessing my sins to one another, is that I have failed my wife greatly in this for, in, in our marriage at times. What do you mean? You've been embittered against your wife? Um, when, it, when you understand what that means, the word means, the, the word bitter means harsh or pointed. Right? That's what the word bitter means. Whether it's talking about water, whether it's talking about an herb, okay? It's harsh or, or pointed is what the word means. And, and I think, I think the New American Standard, does anybody have a New American Standard here? It says harsh. ESV says harsh. Embittered. How does it say, and do not be harsh? Yeah. I would say, embittered is, is again, in the New American Standard, embittered is the direct translation. Okay? But what the, what the meaning is, I believe that conveys it more correctly. New American, ESV and, and uh, New International Version both used, because that's what the word means, harsh. Just like a, a, a bitter herb would be a, would that be a soothing, calming, relaxing herb? Or would it be a harsh herb? Okay. It would be a harsh herb, okay, that would be done. It's, it's the same thing. Um, and I, I think that while I have not been guilty of being embittered in our cultural sense towards my wife, I've been very guilty. And I apologize to you, to my children, to any of you who have been around it. I've been harsh with my wife at times. Um, and I'm sorry. Um, and that's being disobedient. You know, lo- loving you is, God calls me to love you, but he also calls me not to be sharp. Does that mean I'm supposed to be some passive pussy and, and just always be sweet and say nice things and give you false flattery? No, it doesn't. Okay? <laughs> but, I, I am, I am absolutely, um, not to be harsh. 
And, and, you know, it doesn't matter that I'm trying to use a bitter herb to get through something. It, it does, it does not, there is no justification or validation for me being harsh. Um, firm, authoritative, just like with my kids. Because it's the same thing here. He talks about fathers. Do not embitter your children. Do not be harsh with your children. Okay? That doesn't mean you, you don't spank them. Wait, spanking, that's pretty harsh. Um, that's pretty loving. If done right, if done correctly, you know, and, and I, I am not, I am not only supposed to lay my life down for my wife, but laying my life down, part of that means that I am not to respond to her. And, 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 and I say this because, you know, there's some of us married, some of us aren't, those of you who aren't, just put it in your file, okay? There's, there's responses, and I'm sure that you know, it's true. You know, there's, there's none of us that wouldn't um, agree. And maybe we don't see it inwardly, but if any of us went to each other's houses and were able to be a fly on the wall and watch, we, we, we tend to get into patterns of behavior in our husband-wife relationships that, um, and, and I, you could put them in the category of, quote, family rules, but we, t- we tend to get into patterns of behavior which are, wrong oftentimes and don't see him um, and I would say in our case that's what's happened at times you know and, and it doesn't you know it doesn't matter that what my, my love to her because this is supposed to be out of love my love to her isn't contingent on her actions right my right response to her is not contingent on her actions fleshly in the flesh in the world that she provoked me to be bitter at times or harsh Yes, she does. Okay? Does that matter? No, it doesn't. Okay? My love towards her, and that's the context that he's saying, is not to be contingent on that. And part of that love, what that love looks like, and I think Paul is very, whether he was married or whether he wasn't, but he certainly understood this. Okay? That it, it, there's a natural propensity to move into a thing where we can be harsh. And it might come out different ways. It, it, you know, it, it might come out directly depending on your character or your nature or your your fleshly propensity. Okay, you, you know, it, it might come out real directly in your face harshness. It might come out as a chicken something backhanded comment. Okay, okay, it might come out as a cutting, demeaning, underhanded comment because we're too afraid to face the wrath of directly confront, confronting. Okay? It doesn't matter. But being harsh, trying to sting, trying to, you know, I mean, what is the response of harshness? What is the response of, we put a bitter herb in our mouth? It's, right? And, and is, that, is that the, that, that is what we are doing. And, and it really is not to be contingent on what our wives do. Oftentimes, I would, I would say this, because it, be, it gets to be a vicious, ugly cycle. There's probably nothing in a man that provokes harshness towards his wife like disrespect. Okay? If your wife disrespects you, um, you act harshly. And, and women sometimes don't think they're... Dis- in fact, I would say a good part of the time, women don't realize they're disrespecting. Oh, man. Um, they don't, you know, whether it's 
a man is explaining something that's very important and a wife is distracted and single-minded and thinking about something else, that's disrespect. Okay? And when that happens, there's a propensity to go, wake up! I don't mean hitting. I'm just... You know, I, <laughs> But, but, but there, you know, there, 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 there's a, there's a propensity to, to go, you know, you, you're disrespecting me doing that without even a realization. And, and so that provokes it. Is that legitimate on my part? No, it's not legitimate on my part. I am not to be harsh towards my wife. Okay? Correct? Reprove? Encourage? Yes. Yes. She, she is under my authority and that puts me in a very, very accountable, responsible position. Right? I mean, it, 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 it's a very important place that I have to, I am responsible. I'm accountable. What, what does the, I'll leave it at this because we can go on because we've talked about why. It's not that we've talked about them enough. This is, this is a legitimate thing that, and let me just read it here. Um, in Ephesians 6. This is a very important... How are our wives supposed to look? Is our wife Ephesians 5. Are wives supposed to look... You know, are they supposed to be not paying attention? If she was not paying attention, she's distracted and self-consumed about something, would that be considered a spot or a wrinkle or a blemish? It would. Okay? But that's not okay. Alright? It's, it's, it's a disregard for her. Okay? Okay? My responsibility, okay, in, in, in the marriage to, is to lay my life down and pour my life down so that my wife looks like, in public, in private, spotless and blameless, without blemish or wrinkle. That's what she's supposed to legitimately look like, okay? And if she doesn't, God says, and it's on you. And the responsibility is you. How did we... What did our wife look like when we married her? Did she have spots and wrinkles and blemishes? Yes. Let me just say yes. Okay? That that is true. Okay? Alright? Not particularly about my wife. I'm talking about all of us because I know as a father, see, I am, I am, and a mother, but a father, and we're one. My, as a father and a mother, we fail our daughters. Okay? Like we fail our sons. How much we fail them? Well, that's contingent on my obedience and, and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and leading of the Holy Spirit. To the degree that I am not sensitive to them, I fail my daughter. Okay? So when my son-in-law marries my daughter, there will be some spots and wrinkles and blemishes. Alright? Can, can, can he do the Obama thing and say it was Bush's fault? Is that a legitimate biblical principle? It was Bush's fault. Is that it was Dad's fault? You were, you came from a bad family, okay? Realization of the of the faults and failures of the father is important, okay? Just like in politics. But guess what? It's yours now. You need to own it. And as a father, as a husband, now God says, hey, "There's no excuse." I'm not saying, "Oh well, you got it. You can only get so far." What does He say? Husbands love your wives, and and Chapter 5 of Ephesians. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Okay? This is, this is, he, he gets a wife. Is she sanctified? I hope so. I hope that when 
And I'm confident on some level that when the luckiest man in the world marries my daughter, okay, that he will get somewhat of a sanctified daughter, okay? If he doesn't, I have certainly completely failed her, okay? And him. And him, all right? But the husbands now, it's, it's important that you go beyond that, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her of what? Family rules, okay? Um, the things that dad didn't get done or didn't do right, the things that families universally have baggage, okay? I don't think any of us, if we're halfway honest, have to realize, is there any of your families that didn't have baggage? No. That, that's a universal, they all do, okay? Is it important to, what, what, should, what do we do with that? Oh, well, that's okay, we don't want to talk about that, that's fine. No. It's absolutely essential to recognize sin is sin, okay? And move on. And move on. Jesus said it very clearly. When he said, unless you're willing to hate your mother and hate your father and hate your brother and hate your sister, ah, that's one of those Jesus things that make you go, I don't want to read the Gospels, man. I mean, he's whack. That doesn't make sense. We're called to love our enemies, obviously. We're called to love our parents. But he says, hey, unless you're willing to hate them. What's it mean? Unless you're willing to disregard their pull on you, their, the, the family rules, I call them, that in, they're never good, but their, their behavior within a family that you do and act on and accept that determine your behavior, okay? For the bad, alright, in this case. Unless you're willing to not have your behavior determined by the family rules, you have no part in me, he says. That's a big statement. He says, unless, so it's essential and critical that we look at what happened and who we are coming out of a family and what our family rules are and, and we're, we're forgive and we're compassionate and we're gracious and we're merciful, but we move on. We're no longer determined. We are no longer people. Jesus understood how strongly family rules plan you. I mean, what did he say to the man who said, well, Jesus said, come and follow me. And he said, let me go, let me go bury my father. Okay, seems like a little simple request. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Come and follow me. Jesus, you're harsh, man. You're doing it. And he says, family rules are not to determine if you follow me or not. Or the level of your sincerity. We need to look back. As, as husbands, my responsibility is to raise my children without that, without those baggies and family rules, with all my soul, with all my heart, with all my being to lay my life down. And, to, and, and my wife also. Okay? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church. And this is talking about Jesus and the church. This is talking about a husband to his wife. He might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Okay? That's, that's my responsibility as a husband. Okay? That's not a little responsibility. You can't say that's just the way my wife is. That's the way she came. That's the way I got her. You know, angry at her father. I think all husbands should have, if they do not have a level at some point in their life of anger towards their, the father of their wife, they aren't taking an honest look at things. Okay? Do they need to forgive? My son-in-law need to forgive me. Yes, they do. 
You know, they need to forgive me for my failures, and they need to move on that and say, I need to confess my sin. They need to take responsibility and move on. The, the responsibility of a husband to his wife is profound, and, and it is not accomplished. My love towards her is not accomplished through be, being harsh towards her. It doesn't mean I'm not firm. It doesn't mean I'm not direct. It doesn't mean I'm not truthful. But being harsh, God calls us not to be children. Be obedient to your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. That's a big, big statement. Okay, We've talked about that many times, but, but do not forget that. We Recently, I was... Um, we were talking with some people about protection of children. Because... You know, the, the, the real thing that we live in, we coexist in this world with evil. Period. Okay? And, and we, we co- there's darkness and there's light. You know, the, 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 the aspect of, of Satan, of the devil, of the demonic, of fallen angels, is just a part of life. Okay? It's just a real part of life. And we live in it. Alright? Even Jesus, it had to be somewhat of a tentative thing. I mean, I've thought about it a lot lately. When he, when he cast demons out, because Jesus cast demons out, uh, every day it appears. Every day it appears. I mean, there, I don't know the too many days that he talks about when he talks about what he was doing, what he was about. Okay? Universally, when people brought their sick and their ailing and people that were troubled to him, there was a percentage, a high percentage that were demonically oppressed or demonically possessed. And he healed them by casting demons out. Okay? Do, do I think that that reality has changed? I don't. Okay? Again, do I believe that that wherever there are people who, who have this, the Word of God, wherever there are people who understand Yahweh, who understand God, the God of the Bible, do I believe that there's a concerted, focused effort of the demonic against that. That would be my take. Do I know that from Scripture? No, only from the example we have of, of Jerusalem. I mean, there's a side of it. If you wanted to kick butt and take number, let's go somewhere else. These are the only people that, that know Yahweh. These are the only people that, that, that serve the true and living God. Now, most of them don't, so we can kick their fanny. But some do, and that's the only power that can come against us. Otherwise, we've got free reign on this earth. Otherwise, we can do what we want. Otherwise, we can oppress who we want. We can, we can go where we want. What did they do? I think they, they were there because they're in a war. You know? I mean, we, we were talking about that in, in, in perspectives. And I don't know, when it came down to the numbers of how many Muslims there are and how many have never, ever encountered a Christian, you know, I don't know, it looked, sounded to me like there was about 800 million. Okay? that have never encountered a Christian. I don't think Satan puts a lot of effort there. Why does he need to? You know, why does he need to? You know, do, do all of us within ourselves have the propensity, the same propensity that Satan did to be rebellious against God? Yes, we do. All of us have that natural propensity to say, I want to serve me, which is the complete antithesis of recognizing God as God. I think that I deserve honor and glory, which is the opposite of honoring God. 
Okay? All of us have that ability and propensity within ourselves to do that. Satan doesn't need to help that. Doesn't need to, you know, doesn't need to worry about it. If left to ourselves, without the knowledge of God, without, without, and, and, and all people have the opportunity and choice. I believe God, Jesus did die for the sins of all men. So that all are without a choice and everyone, it says, is without excuse. Alright? This is also why God's judgment has, comes down on, on nations. Is because generationally people deny the reality and existence of God. And children are in trouble when they're raised in that, in that world. So I believe that, that Satan centers and focuses his efforts on those who know God, on those who have this. And those who claim, because this is this is the, this is only hope for mankind is the truth about the true and living God in Jesus Christ. That's the only hope. Satan's already won the other, and, and it is a fight. It is a battle. Okay. So do I think that that same thing is happening? Yes. Jesus, I think there had to be somewhat, sometimes some reluctance, um, even though he was set free. They were, when, when demonically oppressed people came to him. I know that, that he looked and discerned hearts and says, I want to be free. Okay? And I trust you can set me free. And, and so I'm coming to you to set me free. Okay? Or being brought to you to set me free. Whatever. But there had to be the thought in him that when Jesus cast out demons, did he kill them? Did he send them, lock them up in hell? No. So what happens when he casts a demon out? Went and found somebody else. Okay? Or went, or looked at that person, came back and found that house empty, as he says, that wasn't filled with the Spirit of God. Okay? And, 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 and went and got seven of his friends and brought him back and stated that, that person was worse than the first. Okay? But, but that's it. That's the existence that we live in. Children, are protected in that world that we live in. Okay? How? How are children protected? I believe that children are protected by obedience to the authority over them. All of us are under authority. Okay? How am I protected from Satan? Because I'm badass? Oh, pardon me. It's, a, it's an obvious no. Okay? Not the case. Not the truth. Okay? The way that I am protected from the authority of Satan is because Jesus delivered me. Jesus allowed me to be delivered from the, from the principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age. Okay? How do I appropriate that in my life? Complete and total surrender to his authority. Okay? And under that authority, can they put a whooping on me? No. Will they try? Yes. Is it something I have to be vigilant about? Yes. Will they be deceptive? The devil, you know what the devil means? It, Diablo is the word. It, it's not quite what it is. That sounds Spanish, but actually that's the word in Greek too. It means deceiver. Okay? But that's, that's what devil means. It means a deceiver. And that is his greatest role in how he does it, is he deceives people. Will he come in and deceive me? Yes. With the word, with, 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 with three quarters truth or half truth. Absolutely. And deceive us. Okay? Just because it has some biblical notation on it doesn't mean it's not straight from the pit of hell because he's the great deceiver. 
How am I protected? How can I walk in victory? How can I walk not being oppressed, not being overpowered? Okay? By remaining completely and totally under the authority of Jesus Christ. How is, it, how is a child protected? Under the authority of their father. Okay? Under the authority of their father, a child says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. How is a child right with God? Obedient to your parents. One of the, another one of the great deceptions that we live under in our culture is rebellion is just natural. Rebellion is just what you can expect. I mean, that, 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 that would be like living in a, in a place, let's just say, that was, 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 had, had the Taliban influence, okay? Okay? That had the enemy that was there and living there and trying to take over. And that's just saying, well, the children, our children, it's just a natural thing. It's just the way it goes. Our children will be kidnapped by the Taliban and be brainwashed. Okay? And that's just the way it is. Is that what you would do if you were a parent? Or would you say, I am going to fight against this? I, this is not right. This is not okay. Because is it any different when, when our children are, in di because of disobedience, are taken captive by Satan and brainwashed? No, it's far worse than any Taliban could ever be. He lists disobedience to parents is listed with the greatest of sins and rebellion. It's not okay. Teenage rebellion is not okay. Teenage rebellion is not to be acceptable. Teenage rebellion is the is the result of failed parenting. Okay? Big statement is. Alright? Our children are to realize that our children are in dire, desperate, dangerous place when they're disobedient. At a very young age. At a very young age. Okay? They're in danger. A child whose will is not submitted to their parents, it's not natural and it's not, not okay. It's not just the way it is and they'll learn to get along and be better socially. A child is in danger of demonic oppression. That's a big statement. No, that's the truth. He's out from under the authority that God put him under. Okay. So to just accept that or find that is okay is wrong. How do we deal with our children? Fathers, do not exasperate or embitter your children that they may not lose heart. Okay? This is an important one. Does it mean that we're not to be... You know, it says Jesus... In, in John, we've read it a few times, that a loving Father, that God scourges His own children. That seems harsh. We would say that would be harsh. Okay? No. Willing to do whatever is necessary in order to bring that child's will into submission. Um, now, that, that's, a, that's a big mouthful. Okay? But you're never supposed to do that harsh. How do you spank without being harsh? Um, you can, you should, and we're commanded to. We're, I, we're not to be harsh towards our children. We're not to embitter our children any more than we're to embitter our wives. And primarily, let me just say that that has, because I have not, we go back to that verse 12, and what does it say? How is my response to my wife supposed to look? How am I dressed? Okay? How am I dressed? Okay? I've taken off the old self, and I've put on what? A heart of compassion, of kindness, of humility, 
of gentleness, of patience. If that's the clothes I have on, that doesn't mean that I'm passive. Okay? But it also keeps my flesh from determining my behavior. Okay? I do not respond in the flesh. I do not respond in the flesh to my children. I'm not to be harsh with my children. Spank them. Spare the rod and spoil the child is an absolute directive truth. Okay? Alright? But am I to be harsh to my children? No, I'm not to be harsh. I'm to be compassionate. I'm to, I'm to show kindness. I'm to show humility and gentleness and patience towards my child. Okay. I'm, to, I'm to look them in the eye and I'm to discuss and I'm to talk why and what and where and explain. Okay. Why I'm doing this. Why I have to do this. Why we have to exert discipline towards our child. Okay. It's, it's, it's critical that we are not harsh with our children, but it is essential that our children are obedient to our parents in all things. Because if they're not, they're not well-pleasing to the Lord. You really want God to be unpleased with your child? Let me just say, God not being pleased with you is not a good state. For any of us. Your children included. Okay? That's a terrible, desperate state to be in. If God is not pleased with you. Okay? That's not what place any of us want to be in. Well, God is not pleased with this. Now, we don't have enough fear of God to realize the desperate state that is in. But God does not. We, we want to be in a state in our lives. We want our children to be a state in our lives where God is pleased with them. And that isn't because they say, repeat some little prayer, Jesus, come into my life and I believe in you, Jesus. That's a ridiculous postulus of be so strongly to state, okay? To try to get a little child to speak. The little child's response is to be, a, I obey you, Daddy. You're the authority God has put me under. I, to, to know a father is to know you. My perspective of God comes from you, Dad and Mom, because we're one and we're one flesh in that obedience. It comes from you, and I'll be obedient to it and submissive to it. And when a child comes to the point of accountability and he becomes old enough to be able to realize that God the Father is there and I can submit my will absolutely obedient in all things, okay? And that I can be. And God has equipped us. God has enabled us. God has set us free from the servitude and slavery to the world, the flesh, and the devil so that we can be obedient to our Master. Do not exasperate. Do not embitter our children. Okay? Will they cry when we spank them? If they do not cry when you spank them, you have not spanked them correctly. But there's a difference between a child's response when they submit their will in tears and I hate you. Okay? If a child's response after you spank them is, I hate you. You have failed. You have embittered that child. Okay? You have acted harshly towards that child. You have not disciplined correctly. Okay? A child's response, will they like the spanking? No. Will they like the discipline or reproof or correction? No. But if they're embittered towards you, we have failed them. So we have to discipline seriously, absolutely, without embittering our children. We need to talk about that more. Slaves. Okay? In all things, Obey those who are your masters on earth. 
Not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincere sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. That has to do with employee. if you're an employee, if we have a boss. Okay? Same thing. Not, not, not to I please them, not to do what would please them externally, but always is God is watching, God knows, God sees me. Okay? In fear, that word fearing the Lord is phobie. That's not, that, that's a, that's a terrifying fear of the Lord. That I work for God knowing God sees me. God sees, God knows my heart. God knows the inside of me. It's not my external outside doing it. It's not what I can get away with. It's not, you know, we all, all of this has worked enough in, in a job to know there are a lot of ways we can justify our bad behavior. Okay? Alright? My boss isn't paying me enough. My boss isn't fair. I worked a bunch of time that they didn't really give me pay for. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of them on it, so they really owe me. I mean, we can all come up with a bunch of excuses why we're not working before God. Okay? Whatever you do, do your work heartily, from the soul, from the inside, sincerely, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. We work for God. We don't work for a paycheck. God says that I will take care of your needs. But you'll be obedient to me in this situation. All of us, again, are under... And it's part of the process that God allows in life. We're all under authority, right? And that being under authority and being under human authority and being under legal authority are all part of what God says he does to teach us, right? I mean, what does he say about obeying your government? Right? Why does he say to do that? Because it's a tool that God uses to chasten you, right? So, that... that God allows authority. There is authority. This world is about authority. We need to really change the concept of being free in America and free to do what I want and having free will. We need to rethink that understanding that we're all slaves and under authority. Okay? Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the word of inheritance is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality. Masters, bosses, grant to your slaves justice and fairness knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well that God may open up a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I also have become in, imprisoned. And let your speech always be with grace, skipping. Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of an opportunity, of every opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how to respond, how you should respond to each person. And then he gives his salutation or his end, ending to the book. I I guess let's leave with that that principle. That that there is an order and a structure which God has set up. And we're all under authority. The free will is who who will we serve. God gives us the option of who we will be slaves to. Okay? The option isn't that I'm a slave or not. The option isn't that I have a master or not. The option isn't that I'm under authority or not. The option is who will I serve. Okay? 
And, and we think, well, I want to serve myself. I want to, that's, that's America, right? I want to serve myself. Because we do. Under the guise of Christianity, under whatever. This is about self-service. No, it's not. Okay? Be very, very clear. There's two masters that rule in this world. Okay? Satan and God. And they coexist right now. We will serve one or the other. And all the subcategories of submission, all the subcategories of serving and surrender are just part of the game. And what difference does it really make? If my life is not my own, okay? If, if, if consider the members of my earthly body as dead, okay? If my life is no longer my own, and God is sovereign, and God is in charge of this world, why do I complain about the authorities he puts me under? My life is not my own. And God is in charge. And if he allows me to be under authority, whether it's a boss, whether it's a wife towards a husband, whether it's children towards fathers, whether it's fathers towards absolutely directly towards God in laying their lives down for their wives, for their children, for their families. Okay? We, no, I don't want that responsibility. I don't, why, why do we complain? It, a very dim view of God. Okay? We're under authority. We need to submit to that authority. And we need to recognize that God is in charge. I, 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 I would, uh, I'll leave with that. That to the degree we understand, to the degree we live our lives out, that my life is no longer my own. I've been bought with a price that I'm under authority, that God is a stop, period. And the, the question is, and the freedom that God gave me, not because I deserved it, but because of His love. His love allowed me to serve Him. His love allowed me to call Him Master, to call Him Lord. That's something, that is, that is the primary foundation of why I can always be thankful. Okay? God has given me free will to choose Him as my Master. That's huge. That's huge in allowing. That doesn't mean free will to do what I want to do. Again, we never have the ability to do what we want to do. We serve a master. Not free will. Let's pray. God, I don't know why we don't... We, we always... Our Father in heaven, how holy is your name? What did Jesus teach me to, to, to come to you? What state of existence to come to you? And, and not my will, but your will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. And in heaven it's absolutely done. The angelic hosts are in submission, obedient to you, praising you and worshiping you. You are God and recognizes God in your kingdom. Absolutely. Unquestionably. And that's what we're to pray. That your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I am part of that. We are part of that. And the subcategories of authority that you put us under, uh, you're in charge. You're sovereign. And, and, and the truth is, they're not, they're not just for 
They're not for punishment. They're not for beating us up. Um, they're for our good. You know, the, the wondrous relationship of, of the marriage is the representation of Christ in the church. The, the bride of Christ is wives. And, and the bride of Christ is to act like wives are to act. And wives are to act like the bride of Christ is to act. And all of that is completely under your authority as a husband, as a father, as, a, as, our, as our master. Complete submission to. And that's a representation, but it's also a glorious place. It's not oppression that we are your bride. It's a glorious thing. Unfortunately, most of us as husbands don't necessarily replicate, replicate your character all the time. So that's a bit tougher. But we're supposed to. We're supposed to lay down our lives for our wives. Christ laid his life down for us, the church. My life's not my own. Jesus said my will. It's not my will, but the will of the Father. He did not regard his own life, his own will, his own desire. His desires actually were that of the Father because he was completely submissive from the inside out. And what his humanness came against, he was submissive to you. Never submitted to his humanness. And we aren't to either. We're to regard that as dead. And we're to put on humility and compassion and gentleness towards each other. Patience, long-suffering, forgiving each other as, as you forgave us. Certainly is a necessity in marriage. Teach us God. Teach us what? What it look like. Teach us what it look like as a body. Teach us to, to understand that the, that a family, that, that your family actually supplants a blood family. It becomes more important and more vital. And it's what truly represents you on this earth. Bond us together with that perfect bond of unity, which is love. I ask you, God, to teach us what that means and looks like. It has nothing to do with self. Amen.